This is Making It Up, a weekly culture news podcast focused on analyzing whatever comes up of interest in creative culture. I'm Sharice Poon, and my co-host is Eugene Can. The format of this podcast is a bit of light catch-up, and then two main items of news, usually picked by myself and Eugene. What's up, Sharice? I'm so sleepy. Did you get your coffee in? I'm having this um, canned Starbucks, Starbucks it's place. Korean. It's Korean, strangely enough, but I just got from 7-Eleven. Uh, I was going to get Nathan and Elphick's favorite, but they were out. I think I, didn't, I just haven't been sleeping well. Sharice has been shopping around for flats, not shopping, <laughs> looking. No, but if you say this on the podcast, now people are going to message me. And they're going to want to help you find that dream apartment of yours when you yes. move to London. So if you haven't been following along, Sharice is moving to London in September to pursue, what is it? A postgraduate degree. It's an MA in design. It's okay. Don't, you, people do not have to message me to offer me. Help a sister out, guys. To offer me flats. Slide into the DMs. Actually, I messaged Dan Sanderson of Mundial recently to tell him I'm moving to London. And he was like, yeah, let's hang out. And I was like, can you take me to a football match? Because <laughs> that's the thing I think I should get, do. Get him to take you to like a lower level match. Actually, you know, like it's funny because I was checking out. This is interesting. So I was looking up the different neighborhoods that I've been flat shopping in. And I was on Reddit. And for this one specific neighborhood, quite a lot of people were like, even if you're not into football, you should go out and support the district's local football team because they're like really good. It's a very good vibe. Which team? I want to say it's the East Dulwich Hamlets. Does it sound even familiar to you? I mean, it seems very, very low, lower leagues. But they were, yeah, Dulwich Hamlet. But the people on Reddit were very enthusiastic yeah. about it. So that was kind of interesting to me. I don't even know if I'm saying Dulwich right. I'm probably not. Have you bought anything lately? Can I also mention that you are wearing Why, a- does, why does this always have to be a talking point? <laughs> off-white nike the referee looking top yeah and you only have your arm in one sleeve it's hot trying to stay fashion for the kids yeah clearly trying to stay fashion it does work though to only have one sleeve on actually is really helpful what about the thing where people tie sweatshirts like diagonal across that works too because it's like semi-warm, like, but not I, really. I don't, I don't really want to tie it in a knot. I feel like it messes with the fabric. Oh, man. Why do you even say that? Can't dig yourself out. Yeah. No, but when was the last time you bought something? Do you mean... Anything. A pro- well, not like a I, coffee. I bought this coffee this no, morning. No, no, like uh, something that's not essential. I bought a bunch of pencils. One segue into that. You just wanted me to I wanted to, to talk like, about these pencils I bought. All right. Tell me about the pencils you bought. These black wing pencils. Oh, I have heard of that. Whoa. See? I'm I'm a little bit wait, embarrassed. Wait, wait, wait. But why did you buy pencils? I don't know. I was in. I was. At, at I've never ho- seen you use a pencil. Because they're so hard to find. I was at a hotel and I was writing with a pencil. I'm like, man, this is a pretty nice experience. It, it's dude, like the pencil that they I offer you. Super whack here, but I was like, I was using it, and it was the sound, the kind of like friction on the paper, kind of cool. Felt cool in your hand. Felt not like plastic like this pen I have. So I have like these go-to pens and I'm just like, mm, kind of boring now. No, This is stupid. But I also, fi- I also find it interesting to like, I don't know, I feel my life is getting boring. 
I have no existential I, crisis. I, I talking through right I, now, I'm making it up. Maybe you shouldn't think of it as boring. It's too standardized. I feel. But don't you think that as you get to know yourself better, that's natural? But then you come to the conclusion that maybe there's something better out there. For example, I only drink I like it's black coffee. I have no desire to try coffee with sugar and milk again. Yeah. I've learned that about myself. What I would guess. I benefit out of retrying? Knowing you don't like it. I mean, I've tried to do more things recently. Well, I think there is something to be said about trying new things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're but right. you're not going to go and revisit like, oh, hey, maybe I was wrong about the coffee thing. Unlikely to happen. I met this really interesting lady. I told you about this. You actually um, didn't tell me in detail. Oh, I was You in only sort Bangkok. of skimmed over this. So this uh, lady named Cindy, who comes from a, kind of like an investment background. She does a bunch of stuff in the tech space. Also does some work with NASA. And it was just interesting because she's very strong in the promotion of opportunity for women in whether it's a blockchain space or the technology space. And it was interesting to hear her thoughts because in general, like I try to get familiar with the challenges that come with, I guess, women in the entrepreneurial world, because I, we all agree, like there needs to be a defining moment in terms of what support looks like, how to move forward, what are the next steps, et cetera. And I, I, I like to focus on it on the basis that I think the end product is better. Like that's, it, it's not really a matter of like, oh, it's a marketing thing. It just feels like if you want to advance, whether it's culturally, whether it's on a business level, you kind of need to have a variety of input to allow you to pick and choose the best one, which I think actually tips a little bit into my, my, my conversation, my topic. But what I found really interesting was like, uh, and traditionally the thought is that women get paid less, but they also get taxed more in different ways as well. Like a pink razor is more expensive than a regular men's razor. Yeah. Right. It's a remarkably dumb thing. The dinner last night and just came to terms with how like for some women, the rise of women through the ranks of a company, especially a corporate company, it's like almost a lose-lose. So it's like if you're unattractive, the default comment is like, no one wants her anyway. She oh, said this. It's so she, terrible. She said this, right? And then if you do rise to the top or you do rise up the ranks, it's like, oh, you slept your way to the top. I thought that was really enlightening and just like kind of put things into perspective for me. But she was also saying like, oh, if you're going to be this aggressive, no one's going to want to date you. Yeah. I mean, I do tend, I tend to think that when I email clients or just in my communication with um, the people I'm working with, I'm even overly nice or overly polite. Like, for example, I was, this is just such a very minor example of illustrating what you've described, but I happened to be sitting next to my boyfriend while he was doing some work emails and he sent an email where the link was broken. And then the, like, as in that was his email. So he hadn't linked it properly. And then the client came back and was like, Hey, the link is broken. And then he just immediately shot back like, here it is, colon, and then the new link, like, working properly. And in that situation, I would definitely have probably apologized. Like I can see myself in that same situation being like, oh, I'm so sorry about that. Here's the fix. Don't link. you think that's personality driven? I don't know. And maybe it is. Like maybe it is who I am. But so I was wondering. Because I would just, apologize too, though. But I was just wondering in that moment if... 
there is something like subconsciously worked into me where I feel that I have to be of a certain persona Mm -hmm. because the expectation is so that I'm not considered aggressive or pushy. I think workplace dynamics are incredibly fascinating. I've talked about this before. How, how people have traditionally valued the quote unquote best workers is probably skewed towards aggressive extroverts. Whereas there's so much value across in different capacities. Should we talk about what went up this week? Oh, the building the brand with Alec Rose went up. And then your editors last night, which I thought was really funny. It was funny because you sounded so dejected. Yeah. It it comes across as dejection. But I feel like it's good to have this, these range of, of points in time in your career to be always happy, to always be sad. Like, obviously that's unhealthy. I would say even always happy is like not ideal because everything seems to be the best. But I think having that range of emotions and being able to deal with that range is critical. I mean, in six months, three months, three weeks, I might feel different. But I also think that it just comes down to whether you care enough to change it. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Anyways, to that point, if you haven't read the editor's letter, it's about me basically being super disinterested with social media. You know what it is? What did I say in the chat? I forget. Eugene is sad. Because Chris was like, oh, looking for a photo to match with it. And he was like, what's it about? And then I was like, Eugene is sad about the state of the world. Well, it's more like, I think if I didn't have this podcast to help me communicate deeper thoughts, then I would really struggle. Because I feel like at, at this point in time, like if you have a lot of things to say, like where do you actually say it? In a way that you can actually interact. Like, do I do I go to Medium? Do I just like find a spot on making.com? <sighs> like social media, as we know, it doesn't really promote that type of conversation. Yeah, I've actually, I do follow some people who write quite long captions about their personal well-being and what they're thinking through. But it does feel very one-sided because it, it's like they talk about be, they talk about similar things to you, like being disenchanted with the state of social media and feeling like you have to just like content create. But then the comments that come back are not very in depth. Like that's, it's, it's almost pointless to me. You know, like chin up, you know, like it'll be okay. Do, like just positive comments. And like, I don't think that's what they're looking for. No. And one of the things that subconsciously spurred this was, have you been following this Instagram account called Insta Repeat? That's new. I vaguely keep track of the conversation in yet another WhatsApp group that you invited me to where we talked about the the people in that group talked about Insta Repeat. And yes, I read the original article. I forget which blog. It's a Instagram account that basically has a three by three grid of all photos that look exactly the same shot by different photographers. I actually think it's bigger than three by three. It's like every post she has is like five by three. It's like 15. Oh, is it? Each one shows 12. Yeah. And she particularly targets like adventure accounts. So it's, you know, people holding a phone up in front of a mountain or the entrance of tents looking out at a waterfall. Yeah. I remember when this account was, I remember when this account was only at like a thousand people. Me too. And now it's at 90.8. Yeah. That means she's, that means they've hit onto something, right? But it's interesting because if you look at the overall state of things, like there's a lot of places where the maintenance of momentum is very difficult. 
the peaks and troughs that we endure is kind of something that's indicative of uh, virtually everything, right? Nothing can be on this like hockey stick growth forever. Yeah. And that means at some point in time we'll get tired of Instagram. Like, Definitely. I'm getting tired of it. I mean, I, I'm tired of making websites that look very similar to each other. That's that's a part of my world. I think there's just I always going to really be a pushback. Escape. Eventually. And, and what you're advocating for, like in the editor's letter and you as a person is being part of that pushback. I guess the only the only challenge is that you can go and create something, but it's not about whether you can create great work or not. It's whether you can have it seen. My name is Patty. High school was a nightmare. Patty Patty's huge. While my classmates were out losing their virginity, I was at home stuffing another hole. It smells like bacon. <laughs> my topic this week is the controversy around the Netflix original Insatiable, which in the eyes of some people promotes fat shaming. So Netflix released a trailer for a new originals and it focuses on a girl. Well, I guess you could say the trailer itself starts the story off with a girl who is in high school, gets bullied and mocked, generally dreads life. Rightfully so. I mean, she gets bullied. People make fun of her. Uh, and then over the course of the school year or towards the end of the school year, she gets punched in the face and her jaw gets wired shut. So this is actually all very very much in a more sort of a sitcom type approach. It's, it's like, very over the top, very like intentionally oh, kind of like mean girls, but maybe even more over the top than mean girls. Yeah. Like mean girls meets glee. Yeah. So anyway, she, she gets punched in the face, jaw gets broken, wired shut. And she returns to the new school year looking much different and attractive. Because like a side effect of having her jaw wired shut is that she less. loses a lot of weight. Yeah. And what's interesting is that in the trailer, it talks about her considering the ability to integrate with all these new social groups that she previously didn't have entry to, whether it was like the athletes or the cool girls, the princesses, et cetera. Yeah. Like you see her thinking, oh, now I can be anyone, but within like this high school framework. Yeah. But her goal seems less about integrating, but more so around extracting revenge. Yeah. 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 So that's how the trailer ends. Yeah. Where she's just like, instead of wanting to fit into any of these possibilities, I just want to make everyone who made fun of me yeah. hurt. And a lot of people took offense with this because they felt as though it was shaming fat people and that you need to be skinny to be attractive. Yeah. And they launched and someone launched like a, a pretty big petition that yep. was garnering up to 150,000 signatures. On change.org, it is up to 215,000. Yeah. Right now. And according to the petition, I'll just read like one sentence. Yeah. It says the toxicity of this series is bigger than just this one particular series. This is not an isolated case, but part of a much larger problem that I can promise you every single woman has faced in her life sitting somewhere on the scale of valuing their worth on their bodies to be desirable objects for the male gaze. So this petition is saying this series should be canceled because it's going to cause young women to have increasing amounts of self-doubt, consider their bodies to be objectified, is it, that's possibly a very interesting trigger point you eating bring. disorders. A very interesting point you bring up. Because I'm I, just reading you yeah. what this petition says. I'm not saying I necessarily agree. Lauren Gusis, probably pronouncing that incorrectly. She's a producer and writer at Netflix. She did Dexter. She issued a statement saying that the context about the show 
isn't it really about fat shaming? And it's really representative or inspired by her childhood, which had several issues sort of like. Similar. Like similar, the issues yeah. that are talked about in Insatiable. Yeah. And in reality, the trailer is just a starting point. I don't think that, I think a lot of people just assume the whole show was around that. Yeah. Probably incorrect. Yeah. Like she says that too. Like, hey guys, this is a trailer. You have to watch. She doesn't say it in that tone of voice. Sorry. Yeah. She's way more PC. But what she means is like. It has to go somewhere. Yeah. I can't give away like the whole plot. Yeah. And she says, I have so much compassion for everyone who has feelings about this issue. I want this to be a starting point for a conversation. I had a lot of mentors who encouraged me to tell my stories. I encourage other people to tell their story. And they, she generally has the support of Netflix as well. Cindy Holland, one of the execs said, Lauren Gusses, who is a creator, felt very strongly about exploring these issues based on her own experiences, but in a satirical, over-the-top way. Ultimately, the message of the show is that what is most important is that you feel comfortable in your own self. Fat shaming itself, that criticism is embedded in the DNA of the show. My initial draw to this was, I'm, I'm always been sort of torn about the, the, the notion of fat shaming. Like just not that you should shame people. It's so much like, what does it mean in the grand scheme of things? And like, how do people inherently view the relationship between their own weight, the control they have for their own weight? And I think a lot of times that separating the medical side of it, I think that, I don't know if it's as binary as that. So I I don't have any answers. I'm just always curious about like, hey, when I was growing up, like I wasn't really skinny. And most people are like, are kind of surprised. I was like a fat kid when I was growing up. And I wasn't necessarily bullied, but I also had other things I could have been bullied about. Being Asian and being like, I'm like you know, whatever, <laughs> which is fine. It's weird because I never looked at it as like, this is something that is out of my control. Like right. I always looked at things within my control or there are things that I can control in the situation. I wasn't entirely helpless. Right. And I wonder if when I hear that paragraph that, that introduces the, the petition, it makes me feel as though people are deemed to be helpless and they can't control their situations. While medical conditions are medical conditions. I get that. But I'm mm-hmm. not saying that that's the blanket statement that controls all of us. Right. It's, it's interesting because I think the petition is trying to say that the series is going to cause people to think more about their bodies as being part of their self-worth. Like the series will signal boost that feeling in people. But I actually think that that already exists in everyone. It doesn't have to be about being fat or skinny. It can be your height. It can be, you know, being Chinese, like yeah. it, all these other things about your physical appearance um, can cause you to put self-worth in those things. Yeah. Right. But what I'm curious is that a lot of times self-worth is something we deem to be instilled by other people and other people's yeah. outlook on us. Yes, yes, yes. Which I'm, that's like, the one thing I don't really vibe with because I think self-worth is something that <sighs> can be controlled innately to a degree. Yeah, but I we think... We want social validation, I get it, but at the you same can't, time... I mean, yes, the ideal world is that your self-worth is rooted in your own confidence in the different things, the different aspects of who you are. But the reality is that most people will think about how other people are perceiving you, what the outside view is. But, anyway, but I don't think we do enough to promote the innate element. And I would also argue because the innate element is difficult to monetize. Actually, this is a great segue to what I wanted to say is that I actually think it's possible that Insatiable is doing a good thing 
by talking about it in a way that could be productive. I'm I'm talking about it. And I was also initially kind of curious because I what drew me to this, I watched the trailer before. I watched the trailer after I read the articles. I actually saw the trailer totally unrelated to this whole briefing It's more like thing. it was a Netflix original upcoming. So I just saw it floating around the yeah. internet. Outrage generally is on the on the polar opposites. It's either you're too sensitive or you're insensitive. Kylie Jenner, Pepsi, insensitive. This, this is like, I guess the outrage or the the dialogues are out. The piece, these people are too sensitive. Where is like middle ground? Right. And actually, one thing that I think that the outrage stems from is adults who might be childless, and then also adults with yeah. children who are concerned about their children and thinking that their children watching shows like Insatiable will, you know, cause negative actions, whether that's like eating disorders or just bad feelings or whatever it is. And the same thing happened when 13 Reasons Why came out. Do you remember that? Vaguely as a movie? No, 13 Reasons Why is also a Netflix originals. And it's about this girl who commits suicide. And there was like a whole bunch of outroar, mostly from parents who were just like, this is going to cause you know, youth all over the world to like consider committing suicide. Um, and you know that I work with, like I volunteer with high schoolers and this came up among like the parents yeah. of the high schoolers that I volunteer with. And I actually think it's, this is not how they, like, this is not what my, organi- what my organization's stance is that I volunteer with just to totally disclaimer that but i actually think that 13 reasons why insatiable are good things for youth to watch because it can open up those conversations in a way that allows them to talk about it the general power of like pop culture too is like they're surfacing sometimes difficult topics to the forefront that allow you to talk about it because maybe you personally don't have the vehicle or avenue to bring out how you feel about being bullied because yeah. it just like seems random. Yeah. So and maybe some girl him. watches this and it's like, hey, mom, I feel like Debbie Ryan. Like, Or the, you watch the, it together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The star in the show. It's hard for, I mean, it was hard for me when I was like 11, 12 to like put into words like how bullying affected me. Mm. I wasn't seriously bullied, but like I, I never told my mom about yeah. those things because like what would I say but if you like you said if, like if you watch a show together or if you even have a reference point you can just say like hey can you it's watch true this? I never told my parents about any of that shit until until I got suspended or I got <laughs> in trouble <laughs> yeah but no that's that's the one thing I think is is important because it's, and there's also this level of like polarization that I think exists where each side thinks they have the right way of approaching a problem and they never consider the fact that Competing opinions is actually very valuable. It's net positive in terms of empathy. I'm seeing both points to this. Like this show opened up someone else's perspective, the people on the petition side, what their perspective is. I see the Netflix side. I see how other people, and I have to make this comment too. I I didn't make earlier is that if you look at the Netflix trailers, comments on YouTube, actually a lot of people are like, Hey, don't, don't judge it so quickly. And it's actually, for once, like a voice of reason on YouTube. Yeah, I noticed that too. Like, I only, I didn't go all the way down, but most of them are just like, don't cancel this show. This show needs to be aired. Yeah, like I identify with this. This is me. This is me making like a logical conclusion or a jump, but it feels as though the people that are are organizing the petition have this sense of self-righteousness 
but aren't actually the ones necessarily living it. So do they actually have the best way of solving the problem? There's also multiple ways of solving the problem. Maybe some people will identify with having a petition and having solidarity and the fact there's, you know, however many hundreds of thousands of people that see eye to eye with them. In the end, I think that the having all these things across the board are generally positive in terms of like bringing together people of different vantage points and trying to figure out what some of the solutions are because there is no one solution. How you react to my perspective versus your perspective, it's going to be different. Moving on to yours? Yeah, let's do it. Let's move on. So I picked this Quartzy article that was about this cookbook called The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And the article in Quartzy is called Rich People Food Has Changed Radically Since the Early 90s. I just thought this was, first of all, I thought it was funny to like see, you know, old school images of people eating salmon and foie gras and caviar and lobster and like just these really extravagant banquets. And I think part of the fact that it's funny is because we don't see that anymore. And because the concept of expensive food has changed. Yeah. Right. So it was like kind of going back in time and being like, oh, hey, yeah, not so long ago, actually people perceived of wealth as, you know, buttered lobster. Everyone a whole piece. And what I wanted to think about actually on a deeper level, which I think you will find interesting is how signifiers of wealth eventually find a way to trickle down and become more accessible. So like how I'm going to continue with the lobster example is like lobster turned into like lobster sandwiches or like lobster flavored biscuits or lobster mac and cheese. Yeah. Something that was exclusive and rarefied because it was inaccessible, then worked its way into like popular imagination. And now you can get it off the shelf. The magic of improved supply chain. But also to that point, I also think that the the signifiers of wealth have changed as well. Yes. So, but it shifts, right? It shifts. It, like, as the lobster becomes more accessible, the rich people are like, oh, actually, we're not into the lobster anymore. Like, you peasants can have that yeah. now and have your mac and cheese. And now we're into, you know, superfood smoothies yeah. and all these different grains that you can't pronounce and being gluten free. And it's finding something else that can also be rarefied and expensive. Don't you think that the ability to show quote unquote intellect compared with sort of the financial aspect is is a new social status? Yeah. So for example, like oh I'm drinking this because I know what it does. Yeah. And the fact it was a ten dollar smoothie. Definitely. Like it seems the age of foie gras caviar is uncouth, you know? Like that's for the uneducated rich people or like the nouveau riche. Because that it's like just the The Russians and the Chinese. All right, that's that's racist, but but I get what you mean is that it's just an easy thing to latch onto, like in the minds of these quote unquote intelligent rich people. Whereas when you have your different vitamins or proteins, et cetera, it's like oh, I had to acquire this nutritional knowledge. Which is why I keep coming back to this: 
the way that you signal your self-worth, your identity, it, it takes on these interesting sort of parallels now. And like, ultimately what used to be the way that you signaled wealth is just changing. And it's, it's like a, it, it has to become a more subtle flex. It's like, it's not necessarily flashy and it's not necessarily in the same sort of realm of what traditionally you've seen as being, you know, based on wealth, diamonds, gold, et cetera. It's more like, well, I have, I, I have X, Y, Z that might be like, um, I always, we, you've heard me use this a lot, but like, oh, it's in a, it's a tote bag from the economist. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you have the time before. to read. Plus you read some super dense shit. Like it is what it is now. I was kind of interested in asking you anecdotally if you have any memories as a kid of going out with your family for an expensive meal and like knowing it was expensive because of the kind of food that you were eating. Actually, you know what really defined growing up where I grew up, what defined how expensive it was, was how the people around you dressed as the patrons. Like you occasionally went to places where you had to wear a jacket. Exactly. So whether it was actually expensive, it probably couldn't have been that expensive in the grand scheme of things because it's like, it's, you know, the prairies of Canada. Like how expensive is a meal really going to be in Edmonton? Right. So that's just the reality of it. But I think that that was sort of the signifier to me because you had to change your dress, mm. which is why I also like push back against, like, I hate formal wear, like relatively formal attire, whether it's suits or like, I just don't like the signal, the social signals it puts off. Yeah. That's the same with Stanley. He really dislikes when his family chooses to go to the clubs in Hong Kong, like yeah. the country clubs and yeah. they are like pants required Yeah, because he just, he's like opposed on principle. Yeah. Cause contextually that also falls within what we just mentioned. Cause it's like, you're wearing it to give off the signal that you're quote unquote affluent. Whereas like affluence now needs to be shown in more subtle ways. Like it, wearing a suit is not a subtle flex. It's very notable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What is the intersectional moment for food? And I was thinking about this because I was thinking about this because I feel like the whole health food craze has already started to be consumed regularly, as in be more accessible. So then the really wealthy are going to move on to something different. And actually, I don't know, actually. Do you not think so? Well, I just think there's a, a there's a very practical nature to health foods that's true so what that's what changes it's not just a signal or it's not just a, a sim symbol of something it actually has real world value but do you think they'll like come up with or not come up because obviously they don't like innovate on their own but there'll be some kind of craze that's about focus on health but executed in a different way yeah i mean it's kind of like athleisure but for the super rich i'm sure that's going to come up the general ceiling has been reduced in the past it was, it was probably a lot easier to charge a lot for like a nice bottle of wine or like a dinner but when it comes to like yoga pants like i don't know if the market for a yoga pant that's five times more expensive than what's out there with nike is necessarily gonna have a big market given that it's just a different world and different product because like for example in the food world you can encourage and tell the story 
of pricing based on exclusivity. Mm-hmm. But in terms of actual practical application, is a small startup company going to have better research and development than Nike? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I was thinking about this too, about the question of expensive food. And at least food can have basis in an actual ecosystem. Like it can be because an actual animal or plant or fish or whatever it is doesn't exist in large quantities. And there's no way to fabricate that. Mm-hmm. Whereas products you can fabricate. Like there's just no way around yeah. it, right? Yeah. So I think it is quite That's what I was saying about supply chain. Like lobsters got cheaper when I'm sure that a lot of things became more optimized. Yeah. And I guess that's also why expensive food nowadays is um, also like based on con- conditions. So it might not be, it, it might not be just the concept of a lobster, like the object of a lobster, but it's like where it was raised, yeah. what conditions it was raised under. And also, under, you, you how recognize long it was raised for. that a lot of health foods are really, are really sold based on a condition that you're trying to solve. Like, oh, you need an energy booster or you need a protein. Like, I think the, um, the remedial aspect of it is what also changes the context and like forces it to be charged, forces people to pay more for it. Mm. The other thing I was interested about in this article is what, and you saw this in the make and slack community. I asked that is like what leads people to be willing to spend a lot of money on food. Cause like if you're really rich, you don't actually perceive of it as expensive, right? To you, it's just. Like, well, you might. I mean, I don't know. Cause I'm it not depends. really rich. But, it depends. Well, it just doesn't, re- it won't register to you as like this particular special occasion. This is what I'm imagining. But then for you or me, it is something that's still an event, like not as frequent. Yeah. Why would you have, have you paid for any expensive meals recently? I think, yeah. I mean, like Nicole and I's anniversary dinner or some shit like that. And what led you to like make that decision? It was a snap decision. I didn't even plan our anniversary dinner. So we're like, oh, let's go for dinner. And then you just couldn't, just had to do it. But is this their like linkage between like the amount you pay and it being like a special occasion? No, not really. A little bit, I'd say, yeah. Was the food good? Yeah. Do, do you remember what you ate? Roughly. Is that Ronin? Uh, okay. So, but in general, I, I, th- I think that that link depends on, on the context. Like some people eat to show off that they've eaten it. Other people actually value the whole linkage of ingredients, technique, service, presentation, that whole experience of going to a restaurant. So what do you value things within that? One thing too that's interesting is that technique is something that's a little bit more intangible, right? Like how do you that's charge true. for technique? I think ingredients in general have a very definitive sort of value around it. But if I'm a chef and like I only, and I'm the only one doing this one dish and I only want to work four hours a day, then maybe my meals, maybe my dish will be three times more expensive because I'm only working a third of the time. Yeah. I mean, also that just applies for me in general when I make orders. I don't know if you do this, but sometimes when I go out and I look at a menu, I'll intentionally pick the things that I know I can't cook. Yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, 
I have limited abilities, but I think that puts a premium on things that are like deep fried, for example, because I'm not going to deep fry anything at home. But I know this is which like, which is weird because deep frying is usually the cheaper way of cooking something. Yeah, but this isn't even related to cost it's more necessarily. Like, it's more like what you're going to order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's what you're talking about, like skill and intangibility is like someone else is going to, I don't know, charcoal grill this fish. I'm not going to do that at home. So I'm willing to pay more for that. good place to wind things down. If you are interested in learning more about Macon and reading or listening to our stories that are focused on the sights and sounds of creative culture, head over to Macon.com. You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platforms. And if you like this podcast, you can do us a huge favor by reviewing us on iTunes or sharing this podcast with a friend. I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up.